Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a resiliency expert and a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. You can find out more about me and this interview at my website. It's uh, Tom, the number two, and tall, T-A-L-L dot com. My guest today is uh, not only a friend of mine, he's a coaching client and uh, in the health and nutrition business, health and fitness business. Uh, his name is Charlie. Uh, pronounce the last name properly for me there, Charlie. It's Remigio. Remigio there. Here you go. So Charlie is the founder of CR Fitness. It's a New Jersey-based fitness facility that's dedicated to helping clients lose weight but in a healthy way. He has a passion for health and fitness and studies extensively in areas such as weight loss, nutrition, exercise, injury prevention. For someone like myself with arthritis, that's very key. And then also he adds, adds a unique self-growth, personal development aspect to his training that's really fascinating and that I not heard of other uh, coaches doing. He loves to help people identify and overcome uh, barriers, usually mental barriers or emotional barriers, so that they successfully achieve their goals. He just uh, he's a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He's also a certified fitness nutrition specialist through the American Council on Exercise. Uh, I believe that's one you just completed recently, isn't it, Charlie? Yep, it is. And a functional movement specialist. I'm going to have to find out what functional movement specialist means. Sounds fancy. Welcome. Oh, you can find him at crfitness.com. And whereabouts in New Jersey is it, Charlie? Because you got to narrow it down for people. In Wyckoff, New Jersey. Wyckoff, New Jersey and crfitness.com. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Thanks, Tom. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun and I've been learning about, uh, the nutrition business and, uh, learning a lot about you. And so let's start off with, uh, uh, your specialty seems to be helping people to lose weight. You've had a number of clients, uh, video testimonials for you recently that are starting on their journey. 
And yeah. uh, that's, that seems to be something you love to do and are getting good success with. So talk about the main food, main, four main food categories that cause weight gain. Um, you know, I kind of came up with this by, you know, looking at what clients eat over the years. And um, some of them overlap, but this is just a general idea. You know, um, first category I kind of see as a main weight gain category for food, um, and these are also addictive type of categories too. You tend to overeat them. Um, you know, as an example, I I've never had anybody say, you know, I had an apple and the next thing you know I finished the bushel. Just doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Say I had a chip and I finished the bag or I had a cookie and finished the box. So that's what makes these kind of – that category, you know. Okay. Um, so sugar products are number one. Cookies, cake, ice cream, candy, muffins, things like that. Second category would be flour products. You know, bread, bagels, pancakes, pasta, pizza, cereals, mm. pretzels. Uh, fried starches, you know, French fries, fried rice, potato chips, corn chips, and alcohol, you know, beer, wine, etc., etc. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, things like, I know people will and we're going to talk about this, you know, soon, is that they, they kind of, you know, avoid all carbs. Um, these are, tend to be the ones that could be overeating, as I said. You know, when you have a baked potato, you know, generally people aren't gorging on baked potatoes, but fries they are. Right, right. Now, my wife has been talking about uh, recently diagnosed with diabetes, so she has to avoid carbs. Yeah, and in cases like that, you know, you have to work with, uh, specialists, a registered dietitian can help people with, with certain conditions like that, you know. Um, I would handle the exercise portion. I can't handle, you know, any special populations like that other than, you know, showing them some of the agency's information and working with their registered dietitian. Right. So now what if you have a client, he's like, Charlie, I love pizza. And, you know, I had a bagel for breakfast and, oh, I love my bread on the weekend. Uh, do you try and get them to stop eating those foods that cause weight gain, to l eat less of them, to reprogram their – how do you – what's the solution? Because if you ask someone to give it up altogether, uh, that's going to be hard. If you ask them to cut down, they'd be like, okay, three quarters of the bagel instead of a whole bagel, so that's probably not the best solution. How do you work with someone to get over – some of those are delicious categories. I think you mentioned chips. And I, sometimes I wonder, uh, I think those bags are single-serving bags, uh, the way some people eat them, the big ones. So how do you work with someone to get them to either avoid or not eat or decrease the amount they eat of those foods that are causing them the weight gain? You know, I, I would look at each person individually. Um, generally speaking, any foods that you love, at best, they're going to last. I, I, how long can – what's the food you love? Give me an example of something you love. Bacon. Bacon. It's my favorite food group. Bacon. Okay. How long does the pleasure last when you eat bacon? As long as I'm eating it. When it's done, Correct. it's done. So how long can you possibly string out that, you know, five minutes maybe? <laughs> yeah. Ten at the most. Correct. Um, now, I'm not saying bacon is in that negative category per se. You know, it depends on who you read. But let's just, you know, make the assumption that bacon is causing most of your weight gain, right? Right. At most, it lasts five minutes of pleasure, right? But you're in your body all day long. 
you know, so just being aware of that can kind of help people move in the right direction, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you're basically always compromising small bursts of pleasure for just the happiness of, and, and the, the feeling of feeling good in, in a healthy body, you know. Mm. So I kind of yeah. try to move people in that direction. It doesn't always work because some people, you know, when it comes to cravings, you want what you want when you want it. Right, right. Can you share the story of that, uh, how you work? And that's in the introduction where I say this mental and behavioral coaching is over and above what I've heard other people do. But tell the story of the lady who had the trigger of ordering desserts at restaurants. And hey, I know that one because I often look at the dessert menu first. And on the f- first date with my wife, I only ordered dessert. And she said, well, you can't do that. I said, I'm an adult. I can eat what I want. But you have a client who had a trigger with desserts and you worked some kind of a thought process and an emotional process with her that really helped her make some decisions and get over that. So tell that story because it's fascinating and I'm sure one that many people come across. Um, you know, I basically was trying to break down, you know, dinner as, as much as I could to see when that trigger came up. Um, let me see. I actually have some notes on that, if I could find them real quick. I don't have them readily available. But um, basically, we were talking about, you know, what her trigger was. And the, the trigger was basically when she went out with a bunch of friends and they unanimous, unanimously ordered dessert. So if one person didn't order dessert, she kind of felt like she wasn't depriving herself. You know, so we kind of looked at that. And so we knew the exact trigger. What was the trigger? Okay, when you're going out to dinner with one or three people and and you get a unanimous, you know, vote of everybody ordering dessert. So that was the trigger. We knew that was it. So then we looked at dinner and said, well, what part of dinner is the trigger? You know, is it once you sit there the whole time? And she was like, no, you know, it's not the whole time. It's, It's really just, you know, the portion where the waiter comes. I think it was when the portion of, you know, everyone makes the decision before dinner comes that we're going to get it. It was just that portion. So it was just when they had to eat dinner. That period lasted like 10 minutes. So we rated it on a scale of 1 to 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, how high would this, you know, feeling be? You know, and it was like at a 10. And I said, well, what was the feeling? And it was basically sadness. You know, she kind of felt sad because she felt deprived. You know, so we kind of looked at it and said, okay, you just have to manage this 10-minute portion of dinner. That's it. So when the dessert came to the table, at that point, she kind of felt a little better because she already didn't make that choice. She didn't feel feel deprived there. Now, other people may have, and they'd have to manage that. So, you know, I looked at it, and I said, well, you know, does getting dessert solve the problem of sadness? You know, we kind of looked at that. No, afterwards, you know, when she had it, she kind of felt, you know, sort of like a failure, you know, and then felt guilty. So you're kind of solving this issue of sadness with sort of dessert, and yet it's causing more of a problem. So just being aware of specifically when the problem comes up, looking at the intensity of it, looking at how long you have to manage that feeling, and, um, and understanding that your strategy isn't necessarily going to solve the problem. It kind of creates more of a problem. So now you have this feeling, you have the dessert, and then afterwards now you feel guilty, and it didn't solve it. So just being aware of that, knowing when the triggers are, knowing that it's not the entire dinner, you don't have to manage an hour and a half. So in that particular case, it was fine. And then, you know, there was an instance where the next day she was going out in a very similar scenario. 
I said, can you practice these skills and just sit with that feeling? Just allow the feeling to be there and label it and notice it. She did it, boom, no dessert. So then we decided on the weekend, would you like to have a treat or would you like to keep practicing these skills? She felt, you know what, like to practice these skills. Weekend came and went. She did it. You know, we looked. All of a sudden, she broke through a plateau. You know, it worked. It helped. You know, she, she lost four pounds in a period of time. And, you know, we kind of looked and saw that that was a successful thing. Now, if it didn't work, we go why it didn't work. Right, exactly. And now another one, and this is, uh, again, why I find different, fascinating, maybe I'm sure other people do it, but you do it a lot, uh, is the, the thinking and the emotional and the behavioral part. Uh, you had a story as well about a guy who was going on vacation and before in his life he never would have considered behaving on vacation. But you did some questioning with him, some explaining and... At the end, he was like, wow, like, I can do this. Uh, tell that story because, again, this is a, a familiar one to a lot of people. They're going on vacation. And, you know, I even tell my wife there's no calories in food when we're on vacation. And people believe this kind of thing. So tell that story because you were re really able to get them to rethink and rebehave or behave differently after your little talk with them. Well, I think – when people think of vacation, and vacation's a big trigger. You know, you're on an eating plan, and all of a sudden you go on vacation, you have food for, God knows, seven days, and then you come back and you just carry those habits with you. And so I think when people go on vacation, they want to be on vacation from everything, from any, you know, eating, healthy eating plan, a vacation <laughs> exercise. And, you know, what I kind of tell clients is that, you know, when your boundaries are home, maybe they're tighter. Okay? And when you go on vacation, you still have boundaries. They might be looser. So as an example, if you're working out, I don't know, four days a week at home and you're going on vacation, you know, when you're having hard 60-minute workouts, you know, maybe on vacation you do three 30-minute workouts. You know, if you look at your day, you have 16 hours in a day. Okay? If we look at half-an-hour slots, that allows 32 half-hour slots in a 16-hour waking day. So you just have to use one of those 30 minutes, and you get to play around for the other 31. So that can kind of help your mindset a little bit when you're on vacation that, you know, it's, it's not this grueling thing. Get it over with, and you can do it. You know, with him, vacation was a big trigger, and he wouldn't have any boundaries. And it would just, you know, obviously you're drinking, you're eating. So I had him set a goal of, you know, losing some weight on vacation. And I don't care about so much the weight. I care about the habits because sometimes when people want to set a weight goal, they end up overeating and uh, um, undereating and overexercising. So I want people to focus on healthy habits. The weight will come. So we just focused on some healthy habits. I wanted him to log his food down. I wanted him to weigh himself when he was away so he had a tracking device. Um, and I wanted him to have some healthy boundaries and exercise. And so we did that. He came back, I think, 1.6 pounds lighter, which was good. And that's a Nobody comes back lighter from vacation. Well, you know, he really wanted to start the program. He was ready, and he did. So it wasn't perfect. You know, he told me it wasn't perfect, but you know what? It was, it was conscious. He made some conscious effort. You know, he took stairs when he had to, and you know, it helped him out. Nice. And such simple things. And 
uh, you didn't make it impossible for him. And imagine going on vacation, coming back and losing weight. The confidence you have to start your coaching program would be pretty uh, cool. Let's talk about triggers because uh, when we're talking, you're constantly talking about the triggers of your client, triggers for their exercise, triggers for their nutrition uh, and their behaviors. Uh, talk about the triggers that hinder success. Uh, because those are so important to recognize and to avoid uh, uh, to reach your weight loss goals. You know, I, I kind of think you have to be this scientist and, and look at yourself objectively and see what's going on. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your habits. Notice what your triggers are, right? So, you know, I, I always see people and, you know, I'll do the intake interview and they'll say, well, I was on this plan and, you know, I lost 20 pounds. And I said, well, what happened? Um, well, you know, I went on vacation. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know what, some stress happened in my life. And there's always something that got them off track. So what they were doing was successful. Now, sometimes people may start an unsuccessful plan right off the bat. There's, there's plenty of diet plans out there that are extremely calorie restrictive. And so when you go on those guys you're already set up for failure because you're restricting calories to, to a great extent and you're using willpower and then all of a sudden, you know, you're just like, I can't do this anymore, and then it backfires. But if you're on a healthy eating plan, there's still a lot of triggers that we want to look at. So one category that I look at is social triggers. So vacations, parties, holidays, events, work, you know, certain people um, of your social group might do it. In that case, that girl... You know, one of her social triggers was when everybody ordered dessert and she was the only one not ordering. So you have to look at situations and things like that. When I used to work in my corporate job, my cubicle was right by the printer, and the printer was where, you know, they put the bagels and the crispy <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. So I had a trigger majorly right there. So when I printed something out and I went there, you know, I, I saw that and it was right there in front of me. And that was a challenge. So then you have to institute, you know, strategies for all these triggers. Another category of triggers could be sensory. You know, you smell something. You see a food commercial. Um, You open up your freezer and you see ice cream, and that's your trigger. Mm. You eat it. Uh, Someone talks to you about dinner that they had last night. And, um, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're hearing something. You're smelling something. You're seeing something. These are kind of sensory triggers that people have. Um, Times of day, you know, I look at clients and there's times of day that they have to manage. So people do really good and then, you know, from the hours of, you know, 8 to 10 is a big trigger time. Mm. And I want to know why. Usually when I look at a food log, I see they're starving themselves during the day and overdoing simple carbs at night. And then we want to put a strategy to have more food earlier in the day. Uh, You know, 4 p.m. could be a trigger. 3, 4 p.m., people get stressed or they start to get tired and they start to go for, you know, sugar and things like that. So you want to find time period. Um, thoughts. You know, you can just sit there and spontaneously you think of something or, you know, you're talking to someone and that triggers a memory. And then that can all of a sudden set you on this, oh, yeah, I want some cookies. <laughs> Feeling. You know, stress is a big one. People emotionally eat. So look, anger, frustration. Sadness, boredom, anxiety, guilt. You know, what's your big trigger feeling, or is it multiple? Uh, alcohol. You know, people do really good until they drink, and then all of a sudden it reduces their inhibitions, and, you know, that could be the major thing you want to look at. 
You know, what level of drinks? Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? You know, when you have three or your inhibitions lowered so much that now you make bad decisions, you know, then we mm. want to say, hey, well, maybe, you know, you have a drink and then you have a club soda so we don't hit that threshold where you're going to, you know, make a bad decision. And then you have specific food triggers. You know, what's your trigger food? Chips, soda, sugar, bread. You know, everybody's a little different. So I kind of look at everybody in a unique way, and I want to see what their triggers are, and then I want to institute strategies for all these triggers. Sometimes just being aware of it can help people. So in right. other words, you have to manage 8 to 10 o'clock at night. You know, you're kind of like, I can never lose weight. But when we look at it, it's only 8 to 10 at night that you're having trouble. Right. And what do you do during that time period to manage, you know? Right. You Recognize that it's coming yeah. up, have some, have some things in place that – uh, to not get triggered, and, and so, yeah, two-hour time frame, easy to do. Yeah, so it's, it might not be as overwhelming as you may think it is when you break it down to these sort of triggers and knowing what you are. Awareness is, is probably the biggest thing that's going to help people. Correct. Now, uh, there's so many books and special diets, as you said, these special diets are probably not going to get you where you want to be over your lifetime. Uh, but I rarely hear about counting calories anymore. And when I think of it, I think it could be difficult to count calories. Is it important to count calories for healthy eating and nutrition? Uh, or is it not? Or is it hard to do? How can people do it? Let's talk about that topic a, a bit because uh, it's so important. Just eat less calories than you you know, uh, using a day and you're going to lose weight. Uh, but talk about that topic because it's important. You know, again, uh, my doctor had a great quote. He said, you're a study of one. And I love that quote. It's all, <laughs> all unique. So I, I'm not, I kind of am open to a lot of different things. As far as calorie counting methods, let's put it this way. If someone is having major success with it, is it something I'm going to pull away from them? If they're eating healthy, and they don't mind the labor intensiveness of counting calories, and it's working for them, you know, then I'll keep it in there. Uh, it's something that, you know what, if that's working for you, you know, work with it. I generally don't like it. It's not something that I institute. Uh, I institute in my programs. Um, I generally count calories when I notice someone is eating too little just to show them how little they're eating. Usually when, you know, I look at people and I talk about certain, you generally know what the problems are, and they usually fall in those four categories that I talked about in the beginning. You manage those, you know, and you're going to be good. Counting calories, there, there are some issues with it. Um, one, not all food is the same. So as an example, if I have 100 calories of chicken and I have 100 calories of white rice, they're going to act differently in your body. The chicken is going to have a high thermic effect. What that means is that, you know how it takes you three to four hours to digest chicken? Mm -hmm. That process uses energy. You have to digest it. You're breaking it down. So you could break down, you know, give or take 30% of those calories. So if I have 100 calories of chicken and I burn 30% off, the net effect is 70 calories. You know, if I have jasmine rice and there's not a high thermic effect, I'm pretty much getting most of those calories because it kind of goes through your system fairly quickly. So that's one way that not all calories are created equal. Sometimes you can have food sensitivities and it can create an inflammatory response. You know, even though it's a lower calorie food, it might not be the right food for you. 
and that might not be good. Um, you know, and when going back to the chicken and the jasmine rice, the chicken could also create a sense of fullness, and it might prevent you from eating more, whereas the rice is going to trick insulin. That might stimulate appetite, too, and not make you feel full. Um, so even though you're counting calories, you know, you're always going to struggle if you're picking the wrong foods. Um, the calorie quality, too. You know, you don't always want to look at, you know, calorie quality. So if, when you look at nutrient density, you know, you can look at things like kale and uh, Swiss chard and arugula. These are lower calorie foods that have a, a lot of nutrients in them, where you can have other foods that are void of nutrients. Focus on calorie quality. And then, like I said, it's just labor-intensive to count calories. But if it's something you like doing, and I said if you're successful at it, then, you know, go with what You're still there? Yes, yes, sorry. Okay, lost you a little bit. How about uh, uh, carbohydrates? We talked about that a bit earlier. My wife was just diagnosed with diabetes, type 2, no medication yet. She's controlling it on her own. So she's talking about avoiding carbohydrates. Other diets talk about it. Uh, are they really that evil? Uh, what is the thinking on carbohydrates? Uh, uh, good, bad, uh, moderate. Uh, talk about that because it seems like many groups and diets are against carbohydrates. Yeah, I mean, carbohydrates are, are a major macronutrient group. You know, you have your proteins, you have your fats, and you have your carbohydrates. And your body needs carbohydrates. You know, in a case of diabetes, you have to watch the type of carbohydrates. You might have to watch the higher glycemic carbohydrates, but vegetables are carbohydrates. And, you know, you want to have healthy vegetables. Be wary of the type and how much, especially with diabetes. Um, but in your, you know, in most folks, I always hear I'm avoiding carbs. You know, fruits and vegetables are carbs, and you need carbs. So basically what happens is carbs are energy, and you store that energy in your body. And your body breaks down carbs into glycogen. Your body stores glycogen in your liver and your muscles. Now, when those are full and you're having too many carbs and your energy, you know, you're not using that excess energy, your body's going to store it as body fat. The reason I think carbs get a lot of, you know, like, a lot of lower carb diets, you know, they do work, but we're all unique. Again, so you have to watch out, you know, that you're not lowering them too much. So as an example, my body requires a lot of carbs. And every time I've done a lower-carbohydrate diet just to kind of test it out, I've done horribly on it. And so I've learned over the years I need to have carbs. So I just have the right carbs, you know. Um, so I'll have oatmeal. Um, you know, I might have some potatoes and things like that. Those, those work well for me, you know, when I'm having them with protein and things like that. So they work really well for me. I kind of look at it as there's this carb hierarchy. You fall into that hierarchy somewhere. So I'm just going to make up something. Let's just say, let's use potatoes as a okay? And we use this hierarchy. Some people, let's just say five potatoes a day is, is high on the scale. You know, some people, you know, can have five potatoes and not gain weight because their metabolism burns carbs in a great way. And, you know, they're having it with protein and they do really well and they're not, they're not gaining weight. Some people might need to have three. Some people need to have two. Some people may need to have a half. You know, 
I don't know where everybody falls. I'm on the higher spectrum. You know, I could probably have potatoes and, and you know, do my job and not gain any excess weight. Uh, on days where I work out, obviously my carb needs are going to be higher. So generally, you know, you just don't want to have so many that your body stores the excess as fat. And most of the carbs that cause people problems are the um, ones that I talked about, your sugars, your breads, your flour products, your, your fried starches. Those are going to get you into trouble because those are addicting for a lot of people. You know, they'll eat it and then they'll just keep eating it. And then that's <laughs> get you a lot of problems. So you just have to watch how many you're going to have. Figure out what your carb requirements are. If you go too low, that can mess up your thyroid. It can increase cortisol, which is a stress hormone. You know, you could lose muscle because when you lower your carb intake it, too low, then your body's going to use, you know, muscle to kind of break down your muscle for fuel. And then that's going to make you have less muscle and your metabolism will slow down. It can affect your moods if your carbs are too low. It can lower your immune system, affect sleep. So the key is you need carbs, the right type, and, you know, after a workout, your body is using glycogen, uh, you know, that's one of your energy sources that your body uses. So right. when you have carbohydrates after your workout, it'll preferentially fill up those glycogen stores before it fills up fat. So after workouts is a good time to have your, you know, starchy carbs and your fruit. You know, vegetables, you can pretty much have them all the time. But there's no really cookie-cutter rules that apply for everyone because, like I said, I could, I could have starchy carbs outside of my workouts and still see a level of my abs where if someone ate like me, they'd put on 20 pounds. So hmm. it all depends. Your body is unique, and you have to know what works best for it. Don't lower them and don't avoid them. Just try to pick the good types. The good types with, you know, vegetables, really good. You know, fruits you've got to be careful of. They have low-sugar fruits you know, if you have certain issues, so I wouldn't go too crazy. A banana would be more of a starchy type of fruit. You know, your berries are more of your low-sugar fruits. Hmm. Interesting, and I like your approach. We are all uniquely different. Our bodies are uniquely different, and so one formula never applies to everybody or even most people. Everybody is unique, and uh, I think it's important to have a coach like yourself to help bring out some of those triggers and strategies and thinking uh, on your own. You're not likely to ask yourself the right questions or examine the right things. And so it's important to have someone like you to help them think through and talk through and behave through some of these processes with food and, and the concepts behind it rather than a one-size-fits-all strategy. So I really like how how you do that there. And so now let's talk about some successful strategies. We've learned about foods that cause weight gain and triggers that hinder success. Now let's talk about the success strategies because uh, that's what we really want to know because uh, that'll help us avoid a lot of the challenges as well. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest strategy is to make yourself a priority. That's really the key. Um, and you have to pay attention and be aware. You know, it's very hard to gain weight if you're paying attention to things and, and noticing what's going on, you know, and not being reactive. You know, you're kind of paying attention to yourself. You're kind of getting a sense of what foods feel healthy. You're tuning into your body. Um, you know, making yourself a priority means you're going to make exercise a priority. 
So that's a key. You're going to make health a priority. So you're going to, you know, um, find what foods are healthy for you. You know, a lot of it, it is work. I'm not going to lie. It is work, but you don't have to overwhelm yourself. You can start small and, and work yourself up. So, I, you know, I'm not saying you need to revamp your whole diet and work out five days a week. Sometimes, you know, people overdo it in the beginning. So just make yourself a priority. You know, pay attention to yourself. Tune into your body. A lot of times we work and we just get so focused on work and people have kids and, you know, and, and their day is just running around from one thing to another without tuning into your body and saying, oh, it's 12 o'clock, you know, I'm feeling hungry. You know, they're too busy and go, oh, I have to drop this kid off here and go here and i got to go to work and I have to do this. What <laughs> wants that? Those are the things that get you, get, get you off track. You know, you're not tuning in. You're not paying attention. So that's a big one. Um, setting a specific goal. You know, that kind of makes you pay attention. What, do you, what is it you want specifically? Do you want to lose 20 pound, 25 pounds in four months and fit into your 34 jeans or your size four dress? Um, you know, be very specific with, with your goals and then kind of, you know, have some accountability. Stay on track. You, need, you know, there's a lot of tracking things out there now, so have a tracking tool. Um, as an if you start to gain weight, you know, obviously you look tighter. So, like, if you're looking at, let's say, a guy, you know, your pants are the button is starting. That's kind of a tool to say, well, moving off track. Um, <laughs> you have a lot of food logging things now. You can go online. There's MyFitnessPal. You have Fitbit trackers, things like that. You know, if it works for you, do it. You know, um, right. that are very good. Um, <laughs> Measuring tape, something that keeps you track. See if you're moving in the right track. You know, are you losing in your midsection? The scale is one. The scale doesn't tell the full story. Scale is an interesting thing. You know, it'll tell you your weight. But it won't necessarily tell the body. <laughs> right. Um, I have sort of. I'm not. I'm not necessarily anti-scale. I always the person and see where they are. If someone has major, major anxiety and getting on scale, I want to know what's going on. Whatever the scale that causes the problem, it's your judgment of the number that's the problem. Yeah, right. The scale, they're basically avoiding their own feelings of, of judgment, their own judgment thoughts which trigger these feelings, and they don't like the feelings, and they blame the scale. So if you have the right tools and you get on there and you just notice your thoughts and feelings and, and you know, okay, so this trigger of judgment kicks in, that's okay. Use that as like a tool for growth, you know, and then just, you know, kind of it's okay. If, if it's too overwhelming, you know, chip away at it. I'm not necessarily saying you need to get on the scale, but if you're going to avoid looking at the number – I see a lot of people they're gaining weight and they don't want to look at that number because they don't want to feel guilty and feel bad about themselves. Of the feeling causes a lot of the issues. Exactly. Uh, now, people listening, uh, I've been coaching you a little, uh, uh, Charlie. On I really think there's a future for you that people would want to do a meeting with you on Skype or or online or by phone uh, because this kind of coaching and thinking 
is necessary for people. It's an accountability person. It's somebody who has knowledge of questions that people are asking. And I really think that uh, uh, at some point, people may be calling you from all over instead of just Jersey and uh, you're easy to talk to, you have good explanations and you help with the thinking and the actions and the emotions. Um, I really think that's another area that you're going to get into because uh, even just with this interview, people can tell uh, you know, that you have a very unique approach and that everybody is different and you're, you're not going to call out any solutions for everybody until you know the person. And so really fascinating. And uh, I know how, uh, how much you are passionate about nutrition and fitness and uh, it really comes through in, in what you're talking about. So uh, crfitness.com, crfitness.com and uh, Wyckoff, New Jersey. Where's Wyckoff around? Uh, what's around there in case people are like, hey, I want to go see that guy? Um trying to think of a, a you know a, a milestone area there's the Paramus is a very common area there so that that's there oh I recognize that one yeah 15 minutes huh. from Paramus there's a lot of malls there so people know that area <laughs> okay crfitness.com everybody uh, please look Charlie up uh, even if you don't live in that area um, I think he can help you he can really really help you especially if you have weight loss as your goal and you know that a big part of weight loss is your thinking and your triggers and your behaviors. Uh, I think Charlie could really help you out. And if you live in Wyckoff, you better go see Charlie. Come on. He's the best guy in your area. So get out there and see him. And uh, thanks so much for joining me uh, today, Charlie. It's interesting to learn about a lot of these topics that even myself and my wife uh, talk about, get confused about, read differing opinions about. And so it's nice to have someone like yourself who uh, gives uh, the good side and the bad side of everything and has no like absolute answers like this is horrible for everybody or this is good for everybody. Um, I really like that approach. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Have yourself an amazing day and thanks for spending time with me today, Charlie. You too. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.